0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, as you're seated this morning. If you open your Bibles to Mark chapter six, we'll be concluding with um, chapter six this morning. If you were with us the last couple of weeks, especially last week, you know that uh, we saw one of those great miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, and uh, uh, we walk away from that going, okay, man, this is one of the high points, and, and really numerically it was uh, the highest, or the, if you want to say the biggest miracle that he did, numerically speaking, certainly raising somebody from the dead, uh, tops feeding 5,000 plus people, but as far as numerically and just impact upon the surrounding regions and the people of that day, uh, that really is one of the high points. And you would think that maybe, uh, the disciples, those who had dropped their nets to follow Jesus Christ would, would be saying, okay, maybe this really is going to pay off. Maybe we made the right decisions. Maybe we truly have come to a place where we invest it well. And yet, immediately after this feeding of the 5,000, Jesus does something that's a little bit strange, or it would seem strange. In one way, I think that we would bask at least in that moment. You know, you win the Super Bowl, you bask in that moment maybe for a little while. You win the Masters, you bask in that moment for a little while, and you kind of enjoy the fruit of that success. Well, that's not what we see happening here. Immediately, Jesus gets the disciples, after the feeding of the 5,000, they they get these 12 uh, baskets full of the fragments that were left over, and the Bible says in verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. Now notice that it says he made his disciples to get in the boat. Uh, The word that's used there in the Greek is a very forcible action. This wasn't a suggestion, this was a command, this really was, get in the boat, and it shows us maybe a little bit of that wonderment of why should we be leaving. Number two, maybe there was a little bit of resistance. Hey, this is pretty good right here. We just did, you know, you did this huge miracle. Do we bask in this? We're, we're not really told, but we do observe that he w- that they were made to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, uh, which he, and while he dismissed the crowd. And we wonder, okay, why is such immediacy? Now, number one, If you've been traveling and tracking with us through Mark, we know that one of Mark's favorite words is the word immediately. He uses it, it seems like a billion times through this thing because he's always talking about this rush to get to the resurrection, to get to the, uh, the final part of the story so that we can see the completion of that story. So he uses this word immediately a lot, but I don't think it's just a writing style. I think it's with purpose. And here he says, immediately they got into this boat. And we find out from John's gospel, remember last week, uh, some of you may be, have been thrilled that we had a chart and maps. Others uh, going like, chart maps, it doesn't really matter. But as we looked at the harmony of the gospels, and we compared the feeding of the 5,000, which besides the resurrection is the only other story, and it's the only miracle of Christ that is mentioned in all four of the gospels, we see that there was a reason why Christ was qu- quick to go from that place, uh, to re- Kind of remind you of that. John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, that is the feeding of these 5,000 plus their families, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now at first glance, the, the crowd's response in verse 14 seems pretty favorable, but it shows their real intent. They want an earthly kingdom. They love that their bellies were full. And remember last week it said one of the miracles wasn't just the multiplication of food, but that it was satisfying. And how can you ever feed that many people and everybody be satisfied? But they were satisfied in the amount that they had and what they had. And so they said, this is the man that we've been looking for. I mean, after all, do you not like to be satisfied? I mean honestly, you know, in the flesh and just in our human dwelling, don't you like to be satisfied? It's a lot better than being dissatisfied. And so we can see this human appeal that they had. Plus, they are really looking for a Messiah who's going to take on a political nature, and that's why they're so focused on an earthly kingdom rather than a heavenly kingdom. Jesus senses this, and uh He senses what's really broken in their lives, is their spiritual condition, not their political condition, not even that they were a little bit hungry in their tummy. He senses this, and so he begins to to pull away. He literally forces the disciples to go in the boat, and he goes off to do something that we see Jesus do. Uh, pretty methodically throughout his whole ministry and that he goes off to pray. The Bible talks about a secluded place, a deserted place, a lonely place. Different versions will have different interpretations of that. But basically, Jesus oftentimes will pray with the disciples, but there's times that he goes off just by himself. When we begin to look in Mark's gospel, there's three distinct times that Jesus goes to pray by himself. And every one of those, if you want to say, okay, what's the connection? Because certainly Jesus went off other times to pray, but, but what, you know, why did the Holy Spirit tell Mark to record these three specific times? One time was in Mark chapter 1 verse 35, where Jesus had done many miracles, and again, his fame began to spread. And he went off to pray, and he's praying about basically Bobby's words here. Father, help me keep my eyes on my mission, because the popularity of Jesus is increasing, and and even you know knowing that he could establish an earthly kingdom is very very much there. The other time that we see it is here in Mark six forty six after the feeding of the five thousand uh, men and their wives and their children, and they want to make him king again. It would have been a very possible thing. He could have ridden that popularity right into an earthly kingdom. The other time that we see Mark specifically saying that he went alone to pray was in Mark chapter 14, verse 32 and following, and that's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays when he faces the cross. Each one of these times are connected with the mission of Christ so that he could keep his eyes on the mission. What a profitable prayer for us. What a, what a profitable prayer for us in our lives. God, will you keep my eyes on the mission that you've called me to? My purpose. The mission by which you have created me. The, the, the reason I'm here. Again, we know in a very general way it's to bring glory to God. And yet each one of us, I, I truly believe that God, because he's a personal God, has a personal mission for each one of us. And, and to keep our eyes on that instead of being distracted by a lot of the other things that could come into our lives, what a great prayer. And we see that even Christ, fully man, fully God, prays, God, keep my eyes on the mission before me. Look back at verse 48. Uh, he goes to pray. He sends them ahead. And then it says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. Now, Jesus had put them in the boat about 8 p.m. in the evening. And now, if we just go by the, uh, it says that it was about the fourth watch, that's anywhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. This should have been, like Gilligan, a little three-hour ride. Okay. (laughs) It should have been a short little thing to get from where they were, they set off to the other side. But on the seas of Galilee, even though it's, I think it's 13 miles long and like 6 miles wide, so it's not a huge body of water, but because of the mountains that are around it, it is very susceptible to all these fronts that come in. And a storm can come up really, really quick. And one kind of comes in. And it's more the winds that are blowing than it is a storm. We do not see here, like we saw back in Mark chapter 4, that they're in fear of their life. These are fishermen, a lot of them, and they're familiar with it. But it is frustrating. It is very much frustrating. It is one of those things where we begin to see that the actual word that is used here, that uh, they were making headway painfully, uh, that word means torture, torment, harassing. Have, have you ever left for vacation, and especially if you're going down to Florida, if you're going that way, and then all of a sudden, you know, you've made your plans, you're going to Disney, you're going to this place or that place, you're going to the beach, and uh, you left early in the morning, and then you get down where somewhere about South Georgia or the north part of Florida, and it is just backed up, and you're sitting in traffic for three or four hours. Has that any happened to anybody? It's happened to us before, and all you just want to go to vacation. And you even tried to plan around any obstacle like that. That's really kind of the word that's used here. That it was painful, that it was an obstruction, that it was harassing. It wasn't life-threatening, but it definitely was not welcome to them. Now look what happens in the last part of verse 48, because this is kind of a strange thing. We'll talk about it just for a moment. It says that, and he saw them and that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by, or pass by them, I'm sorry. He meant to pass by them. Now, what does that mean? Well, scholars, interpreters, people who study these kind of things have come up with three general things that it could mean. One is that Jesus meant to avoid or ignore them. He meant just to go on and they happen just to uh, catch a glimpse of him. I I don't think that that's the solution here, because Jesus easily (laughs) could have made himself invisible if he wanted to. He could have easily, if he's walking on the water, can he not walk wherever he wants to? I mean, it's not like, okay, this is the shortcut, and I'll get tired if I go another route. So I don't think that's a plausible one. I don't think it really jives with what's happening here. The other one is, and it's got a possibility that Mark was using a term from the Old Testament um, that God would pass by. Remember in, Eli- uh, in 1 Kings with Elijah and First Kings 19 where it talks about that, that God would pass by. Remember with Moses that God would pass by. And it, it talks about this time when God's presence was near but it would pass by. And it certainly has that meaning. I favor probably the third one that this phrase to pass by means to come near. Have you ever been going somewhere and going, hey, you know, so-and-so's home. Grandma lives right down the street. Let's go pass by Grandma and see her first for a second. And so you're coming near. And I really think that that fits the text. I'm very much open to that second interpretation. I've pretty much in my own heart and mind ruled out the first one that Jesus didn't mean to be seen and that he was going to ignore them. I don't think that fits the rest of the story and the context there. But But the second one could, but I really think that it's, that he wants to be seen, so he comes near. And he comes near, and instead of seeing Christ, what do they see? They see a ghost. Look at verse 49, verse 50. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out. For they saw, all, uh, saw him and were terrified. Now they're terrified. Before they were irritated, now they're terrified. Remember back in chapter 4 when we saw that Jesus was sleeping in a Magos storm, a really big storm, came and created a very Magos fear, Phobos, in their lives. And this is what happened. Again, they they see, they look out there, and part of this may have been a, a legend that supposedly was around the Galilean area. I don't know if it was to all fishermen and types, but around the Galilean area, they said, okay, right before you, uh, get swamped, your boat gets swamped, or you, you go under and you're going to be uh, kind of capsized at, at, at sea, that you would see a ghost traveling on the sea. And maybe they're thinking of that. I mean, they're fishermen. There's legends. And maybe, have, have you ever seen how superstitious fishermen are? I mean, there's certain things. If you come on the boat and you have red hair, oh my goodness, don't don't come. Go dye your hair first. Or shave your head or something. I mean, they're just, you know, there's a lot of superstitions. And it may have been that. We don't know. But we do know this one conclusion. They're terrified. They went from being harassed and irritated, and this is not what we wanted, to a place where they are terrified. The word ghost there means in Greek is phantasma. Does it sound kind of like our word phantom? That's where we get our word phantom. And the disciples were scared out of their minds. They truly were terrified. But look what happens. Verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. Mark's favorite word. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So many times in our lives, guys, that we come upon impasses, we come upon complexities. And those complexities, oftentimes, they, they start off just as an irritation, as a frustration. And we've all been there. You can Here's one thing I've found out all these years. You can love Jesus and still have a lot of frustrations in life. Amen? You can have really run into the complexity of this world. Why? Because it's a, three reasons. It's a fallen world, I'm a fallen man, and I have an adversary that until I go to heaven is going to be fighting against me. And so there's going to be times in my life, even if I love Jesus and try to love Jesus well, that I can hit times of great frustration. So this is not abnormal. This is normal. But has Jesus left us here in in this fallen world with, with still this fallen nature that wants to resurrect itself from time to time, against an adversary unprotected. No, everything that we see in the word of God says that, no, we have this one who is right there by our side. Listen again to the words of Christ. I mean, this is the sermon this morning, guys. This response of Christ is the sermon. Take heart. Take heart. It is I. I'm not sending the angel. I'm not sending, you know, good wishes. (laughs) Hope you do well. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Can you imagine those words coming from the lips of your savior? In the moments, not just your, your frustrations, but those times when frustration turns into a times when you're literally just scared and you're frightened. I mean, let's think about just the normal responsibilities that we have. And I and mean, you have this responsibility of taking care of a family. And, and how do I lead a family through this complex world? And Maybe you're thinking about both the finances and then the spiritual direction and the education and, and all these different things that come with parenting. And it can be overwhelming at times. And there will be times that you feel like you just hit walls of frustration. Times when you're wondering. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard, the, you know, you, you don't work here anymore. This, this is the last page I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I man, can you imagine when you have the responsibility of providing for a family? How for at least that moment, you go from a place of frustration with work to a place of, oh my goodness, how do I provide? I mean, this is a real thing that can really happen to any of us. Have you ever sat in a doctor's office and they said, you have cancer? or You have this or they have that? This is the reality of living in a fallen world with fallen bodies that are susceptible to brokenness and having an adversary that wants to take away from us the joy of living in Christ. And so when we have that complexity, what is the response of this God that we want to serve in relationship to these three things? Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Is that enough for you? I mean, do you want a whole paragraph? Do you want a whole letter? Do you want a, a novel? Or knowing the source of where it's coming from, is, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you to truly be able to take courage and have heart? Notice how Mark records that, but immediately, and why does he say Immediately. Uh, this threefold response, take heart, literally means to take courage. Then he says, it is I. It's the same Greek rendering that we see in the Old Testament of Hebrew where Moses says, well, who do I tell them, God, of who's sending them? He says, tell them, I am has sent you. It's the same Greek rendering of that. Basically, this is what Jesus said. I am is here. Your God is here. Do not be afraid. Not that there's not a reason to not have calm. He says it in a way that there's a reason to have calm. Does that make sense or did I just really confuse you? Wouldn't it be great if, abracadabra, God just made all of our dilemmas go? And in a way, we would really love a God that just said, boom, and the dilemma is gone. Have you ever thought that there's maybe this miraculous, wonderful thing that happens? That God doesn't take the situation away, but God comes in the midst of filling your heart with courage, with with don't be afraid, it is I, in the midst of that. Isn't that an amazing thing? Which one is really more miraculous? I mean, in one way, poof, it's gone. But I would be asking God for about 20 poofs a day. God have you ever seen that little commercial? It's this is not in the notes. It's came to my mind and I have to be careful things come to my mind. <laughs> but there's a commercial out there and, and there the business is that they take things away. You know, that it's a, all your junk and stuff. And so the commercial is the lady goes, Well that and she just points and poof it's gone, you know, and, and she just goes around the house pointing at these things and they're all gone. I would be that person with problems. God Boom, poof, poof, poof. I mean, wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't there be part of this nature that we live in that we would just point and say, "God," as if God didn't know that this was a frustration, an obstacle, or maybe even something very terrifying in our lives. In this instance, He does take it away. He He comes on board. And instantly everything dies down. Not so much to eliminate just the frustration, but to show his power over that. I mean, they had just seen Jesus in crisis mode. Jesus, we have twenty, twenty-five thousand 25,000 people here. We have a couple fish and we have a couple loaves. We're in crisis mode. We either send them home, there's not a bakery close enough, we don't have a place to go get food, we don't know what to do. And they saw in that moment the ability for Christ to provide for the situation. Take their present fear, or in our present fears, a lot of times we forget the past miracles of lives. We sang a song this morning, it's one of my favorite songs. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. And the reality is, guys, that I probably have awareness of maybe 1% of his goodness and 1% of his faithfulness. That somewhere in this mind and somewhere in this heart, even though I try to make much of Christ, that I'm probably only aware of 1% of times. Other times, I'm thinking that maybe I was the successful one. I made the right choice there. And I fail to see the power of God and the influence of his Holy Spirit on my life. The truth is, all my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. But isn't it amazing that when present fears come, Somehow, we have a hard time remembering past faithfulness. It's a human dilemma. Though they should have known. Their knowledge was overshadowed by their situation. Have you ever been there? You should have known. And yet, when that boss says, you know, unfortunately, we've got to let you go. We're cutting back, and this is your last check. Doctor says, "I have bad news for you, sir. Uh, in this is the reason why we, you've been kind of short of breath. We found some cancer. We found this. In, in the midst of those present difficulties." And those things that would frighten us. We forget sometimes the, the faithfulness of the past. And, and one of the things that we need to do at that time is remember the faithfulness of God. It's, it's the challenge that we have. Verse 51 says, And he got into the boat with them and the winds ceased and they were utterly astounded. Time out. Time, time out guys. Why were they utterly astounded, Ricky? Why were they utterly astounded, Taylor? They've seen Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. They've seen blind men see. They've seen lame men walk. They've seen miracles. They've just witnessed that day the miracles. Why are they astounded? To make it even a little bit further of an indictment, They've gone out. They've already been sent out two by two. And remember what happened? They were able to do the miracles themselves. I mean, by the power of God, they've witnessed firsthand the power of this God. And yet, to me, it says He got in the boat with them and the wind seat, and they were utterly astounded. Thank you, disciples, for joining me in my frailty. how many times that God in his faithfulness all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good and yet when God saves my neck or saves this or whatever yesterday from this frustrating or this terrifying event God thank you and my mind is blown as if he's never done that my whole life does that make sense are you making the connection here Then in one way, they should have said, oh, and we remember we're not really utterly amazed because you've done this many, many times before. We were just a little forgetful. But they're utterly amazed. I mean, they've even seen Jesus do almost this exact same thing. Remember back in Mark chapter 4. Look at this verse, verse verse 41. And they were filled with great fear, megas phobos, And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They've been on this boat before, guys. They've been in a situation that truly was terrifying to them. At that moment, they did think that they were going to drown. Jesus, don't you care? And he comes up and he calms the winds. And they're amazed. How does Mark explain this? Why, Why are they utterly astounded here? Why is their mind blown at what Christ does here? Verse 52. But they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Well What didn't they understand about the loaves? They still didn't fully understand who Jesus was. They still didn't fully comprehend the power of Christ. Could, could that characterize us this morning? But we know Jesus, and I think many of you would know a lot about Jesus. Is there a part of us that still could be kind of characterized by verse 52, but, th- but they did not understand about the loaves. I mean, that he's done miracles in our lives, and, and instead of that spawning on future trust, faith, belief, that, that when that next incident comes up, we found like we're almost at ground zero again. But their hearts were hardened. Do I have a hardened heart? Well, yeah. Notice one thing here. The disciples, are they in, on this boat out of disobedience or out of obedience? Obedience. Jesus put them on the boat. They're they're going to the other side where he said to go. This isn't an act of sin. This isn't some correction. They didn't go through this ordeal and this frustrating time that turned into a terrifying time because they were disobedient and they weren't where they were supposed to be. I mean, we've all probably had that conversation with our kids. Well, if you wouldn't have been there, this may not have happened. Does that come out of the parent's mouth really easy? Yeah. This isn't what's happening here. They're obedient. They're placed on the boat by Jesus. They're doing what Jesus... They find an obstacle there. All these things are in the perfect pattern of just life, of following Christ. And yet, verse 52 describes them as they did not understand about the loaves. So that is, this miracle that they had just undertaken They did not comprehend that Christ is above all things. This morning, do you comprehend that Christ is above all things? Do you really take that to heart? Because here's what's going to happen this next week, guys, to every one of us. In the next weeks or months, here's what's going to happen to our lives. There will be times of frustration. There will be times that terrifying thoughts and situations come upon our lives. And will we be able to, at that time, to, to, to say and hear, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. What amazing words our Savior spoke. How do we respond now? I think two words. Number one, we confess. What do we confess? Because they they were in disobedience here. What we confess is that we have a nature that tends to really focus on the situation. Would you agree with me that when a situation, that, that our nature, our human nature and our limitations focus on the situation rather than the Savior? Is that you or is it just me? Am I standing alone or is that something that we share in common? Okay. So we confess that. God, here's my nature. You know it, but I'm just admitting it. That as much as I sing that song, have thine own way, next Tuesday I want my way because your way was kind of terrifying for the moment. But, but, I'm the potter and you're the clay, and I'm actually working something here. Yeah, but don't be working out that. <laughs> Go to Q's life, work on him. <laughs> He's a piece of clay. <laughs> so we confess. We confess our frailties. We confess our nature. It is my nature to look at situations instead of the Savior. And then what do we do? We profess his ability to overcome any difficulty. God, if you raised dead men and made them alive again, and you took my sinful heart and you created in me a heart that now is filled with the righteousness of Christ, if you can do these things, there is nothing beyond you. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I pray that that's on my heart and my mind this week. I pray that's on your heart and your mind, as frustrations, as terrifying situations come upon, that you would hear uh, through the Holy Spirit this this week, just that that calmness of Christ who's speaking to you as He did those disciples that day. Take heart. Don't fear. It is I. Can you come and share with us this morning, uh, a, a little bit of your story and the things that God has done in your heart and your life? And I know you're a little bit, he's a little bit nervous this morning, but, but, uh, but God will be And just share with us a little bit.
1: Yeah. There you go. Um, so my testimony is pretty similar to like some, some of y'all's here. I've been in church my whole life. I was baptized here at eight. That was almost ten years ago, I think. Yeah. And, um, but I didn't really understand the whole Jesus thing. I was, it was, um, at Woodlands when I was 12, that's when I finally understood that Christ died for my sins and that he is one who saves my soul. And so since 12, I've just been learning and growing. And one of the things I've learned over the past two years is, Is like a sense of peace that I've needed to learn because I've always wanted to be loved by others. My parents loved me, obviously. and um, But I wanted to have, like, friends who really knew who I was and have a girlfriend maybe that knew who I was, just have that deep relationship. But in middle school and high school, it's been kind of rough. So I didn't know how to, like... Socialize, I guess, the best I could as as good as I am now, I guess. But um, so it's just kind of hard, and so I just vented and just had a bad attitude about life. Not it wasn't like depressing, but it was could have been better, could have been more godly. And so through that, I realized there was a issue going on with me. So I had a teacher at my school named Mr. Frymy. He's a Bible teacher at my school, and I really love this guy. He's helped me through other struggles, through just how to have a good friendship and just relationship with other people. And what he taught me was Ecclesiastes. If I can get to the Bible verse real quick. Sorry. And it says... It says Ecclesiastes three, one through seven says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and time to die, a time to plant, time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, time to tear down and a time to build, time to weep and a time to laugh, time to mourn and time to dance, time to scatter stones and time to gather them, time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, time to search and time to give up, a time to keep. And a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. So. What Mr. Framai taught me was that even though right now I may not have the deepest relationships, I have one good friend, but I do want more, or I may not have a girlfriend, that I can find peace where I am with the Lord. Because. The Lord's my has been my friend since day one, and he cares about me <laughs> more than anybody this whole world could. And that's my part of this morning. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Q. And appreciate that. Writing. That's a lot of wisdom from an 18-year-old right there, guys. So let's let let that sink in. Let's pray together, and then we're going to end in just uh, singing back to God this morning in worship. Father, I thank you for Q. I thank you for his willingness to, to share, Father, the vulnerability of his life. Father, I thank you for that you put teachers and pastors and friends and neighbors and moms and dads in our lives to speak truth. Father, I thank you that your truth Brought peace to, to Q and will continue to do that. And Father, one day he's going to look back, Father, if you ordain for him to, to have a wife and children and family, he's going to look back and Father, he's just going to be able to trace your, your hand and, and your will through all of that. But Father, his story very much kind of captures our story today, or your story, Father, in, in the Word. And Father, how easy our situation begins to Capture our mind. That instead of looking, Father, heavenly and looking at the sufficiency of your son, Father, we see the the trouble and the chaos of our own life. Father, we confess that nature this morning. But Father, will you help us now to profess, Father, your faithfulness. Profess, Father, your ability to overcome all things. To take things that are dead in our lives and bring them to life. Father, to allow us, Father, in those troublesome winds of life, Father, to, to experience times of peace and calm. And it's all because of your son, Father. So we thank you for Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning that, uh, that we would truly, as we go out this week, Father, that, that we remember these wonderful words, Father, that, that he spoke. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. We love you, Father. And we thank you for Jesus. we pray in the power of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.com. .org or find us on Facebook